Street Fighter Cross Tekken wound up not being Capcom's proudest moment, but it did teach us plenty of lessons we'd be remiss not to remember in current times. Plus, Catalyst shares some old conversations he's had with Capcom employees, I learned a fighting game lesson while playing Risk, and online tournament results are painting a somewhat surprising picture, all on this week's episode of the Event Hopes Podcast. Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Event Hubs Podcast. I am John Catalyst Gray, and with me as always is John Velociraptor Guerrero. It's a little extra gusto in your voice today, huh? A little extra pep in your step? Yeah, I want to want to match the uh, the music level and stuff that we come in with. It's like I, I keep hearing it on the playback. I'm, mm, that sounds good. I want to I want to make sure I hit that like just you know as well I, as I can. I usually but. have to uh, to boost your voice a little bit uh, incoming or, or or going out like when we're saying goodbye and it's it's fading in. I have to like amplify our voices just to make sure that they stay above the uh, the music line and stuff. So I can I can do it superficially as well. Don't worry. Oh, okay. Well, good, good. There you go. So <laughs> speaking of doing things superficially, let's go ahead and talk about Street Fighter Cross Tekken and the gym system, because uh, that's some interesting <laughs> stuff right there. Uh, Matt McMuscles, he has an interesting video up about Street Fighter Cross Tekken where a former Capcom employee states that they expected to get about $12 per player on DLC gym sales. I don't know if it's exactly was, you know, a hundred percent quote on like just gym sales or just DLC in general. But I think that with Street Fighter Cross Tekken, all things of that did not pan out so well for Capcom. So, yeah. Um, gyms were received horrifically in the community, obviously. I mean, it was just... Ugh. But the the fact that they were trying to, to make gyms a big deal actually matches up with statements and business approaches that Capcom had clear back in 2020. Uh, 2012. There we go. So Is that many when it years came ago. out? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I remember... I remember sitting in Super Arcade when it, like the day it launched and everybody was excited and exploring it and, and such. And that was eight years ago. Where's my life? Yeah, it's, it goes by very, very quickly. Yeah. Good old March, uh, March 6, 2012. Um, but um, yeah, uh, gyms obviously were received horrifically by the community, um, mostly in the tournament scene. Um, uh, but it is a, it is a, a bad idea to, to, base a huge part of your business on something you're not sure if it's going to work. And I mean, it's, it's quite obvious in this day and age that, that DLC is just a huge part of these games. I mean, we're seeing, you know, the, the 10 million in sales and stuff from NRS titles, but they're also doing multiple years of DLC and other stuff that like kind of keeps breathing life into these games. And that was the idea, I think, with a lot of the gyms and other stuff. Like they even talked about potentially reworking entire characters like with the gym loadout that you could do. No, where, no. this was mm-hmm. eight years ago. Can you remind the people what gems were? Oh my goodness, gyms were the ultimate dumb decision that sounded great on paper. Well, uh, and it, what, yeah, go ahead. It's, go ahead. it's it, to me, when I was watching the Matt McMuscles video, it's, it's 100% what this is. And, and I never played with gems. Like I, that was too much for me. I just wanted to jump into the game and play. I did not want to hassle with, okay, you got to pick this one. Basically what they were was, uh, you could put, put them as like, um, little augments to your character. So, uh, and I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, any of them, but maybe like in certain scenarios, they'd give you, if you had a certain gem equipped, for instance, you'd get 20% more attack for a certain amount of time or or your defense would go up or or things like that but it would augment your character it was very mobile play to win style as capcom was jumping into this whole new wave of dlc but but go on you you were oh 
Uh, I love that you said the playing the wind style because Ono has said up and down in multiple interviews, and we know that Ono never stretches things out at all <laughs> in interviews, and there's not going to be any whatsoever pay-to-win setups in the game because, uh, you know, Ono is definitely upfront about that, even though we later found that there were plenty of pay-to-win gems in this game. Uh, and I think even some of them that actually never uh, ended up coming to fruition, like they were planned and they were going to be even worse. Um, thank goodness this game... Uh, for multiple reasons. I know there's a lot of supporters of it, but I'm actually very happy this game bombed uh, for multitudes of reasons. It was a, a giant, you know, kind of don't do this from the FGC to Capcom. And I think they learned some lessons from this game. So. Well, yeah. And, and and there's an important distinction to make because uh, especially if, if I don't, if I don't stand up for a little cross Tekken, I'm going to get murdered by the Arizona community because we love us some cross Tekken around these parts. And, and because a lot of the gameplay itself, especially after some of the patches that happened, made the game very appealing, especially to more traditional players. And, and I didn't get super into it, so I can't really speak to the nuance of all of that. But I do know that it resonated with a lot of people as a very good fighting game when it came down to the actual fighting. But so much in the DLC practices, as I'm sure we'll get into, in the uh, in the way things were put together, and the way it just felt like so much of a cash grab. Um, that's where it really soured very quickly in people's mouths. And there were some few things with the gameplay, as always, that there are, you know, with glitches and the timeouts and whatnot. But um, I think that's an important distinction to make because when all things are said and done, people still do revere this as a well-made fighting game as far as the fighting goes, but there is just a myriad of other issues with it. Yeah, I actually take massive issues with people saying this is a well-made fighting game for one, uh, two standout things. Uh, one, the games ended in time over so very often. The first 20 seconds of a match were oftentimes more massively important to it, uh, the outcome, than the last bit of, of play. Like and and then of course Pandora was uh, a forfeit button. That's what uh, Nate, one of our former editors here, yeah. infamously called it. He's like, ah, it's a great feature if you want to lose. Like, I mean, we literally would post stories about Pandora working because that's how rare it was. It was like just like uh, that's the comeback mechanic where I think you you basically you got super powered when you were losing. Um, but then you only had a certain amount of time before your character would just die, or it's like your life dwindled or something like that. So you were super powered, but your life was dwindling. And uh, but yeah, it definitely it definitely didn't favor the person activating Pandora. There is, I mean, I, we could have probably like five podcasts talking about Street Fighter Cross Tekken and what this <laughs> was. It's pretty crazy, but we'll get back to it here. There's an unnamed source sort of uh, uh, sourced in this video, um, and um, uh, from Capcom USA. And I have a hunch who it might be, and they're a legit source of if who I, I think it is. Um, but on that note, you can talk to two people who work in a company right after a meeting happens, and you might hear two different tales of how things went down. So I'm not saying that the reporting here is wrong, just that keep in mind, you know, you're not always getting every side of the coin here with this kind of stuff. Sure. So... So anyway, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this heavily, but it's the essence of what was said in the video about on-disc DLC. And basically, Capcom USA, they find out that you know they've got a bunch of DLC on there, and they're like, hey, don't do that. Don't ship it on the disc. It's going to be found and cause a lot of problems when it's discovered. <laughs> and apparently, Capcom every, Japan... Every Xbox game gets cracked before launch date. That's what they said. It's like yeah. every launch. And what was the response by Capcom? 
Capcom Japan's response was apparently, hey, it's illegal to crack Why games. would they do that? Yeah, it's illegal. It's, it's illegal. <laughs> they can't do that. No one's going to look at it. They can't do it. It's not legal to do. Uh, yeah. So Capcom USA apparently, like, after hearing that amazing rebuttal, which, oh my gosh, they just said, Look, you guys don't understand the situation. You just need to remove the on distill CEO. Just get rid of it. And then Capcom Japan apparently said back, fine, then we have to delay the game. And do you want to tell the CEO that's why we're delaying the game? Do you want to do that? And just like basically threatening them up and down. Like, we're not going to do this. And here's the reason why. Um, and yeah, and so that's how come we ended up with on disk DLC according to this video. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, you know, th- there are reasons beyond this here. Uh, and, and just to clue people in, like, missing, missing the, the fiscal year on this stuff, um, the implications that has upon a business, it's not like these decisions are easy and simple to make. There are a lot of layers that you have to factor in when you are trying to appease your shareholders and other people that work in here. You do need to ship and do things in certain timelines. Capcom's kind of infamous for not missing their release dates when they announce them, uh, but that doesn't necessarily work out in their favor because of... (laughs) Capcom needs to miss some release dates, man. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is it's one of the reasons how the game was rushed and it shipped with broken online play. People might not remember that, but this game shipped with broken audio when you were playing over the internet like you would be like 30 seconds into a match all of a sudden the audio would just stop and like you would not hear anything and there were other issues and and that was actually resolved shortly after the game was put out into the wild they had a patch for it and typically when you see a game patch shortly after it was released that is a major indicator the game was rushed uh and the developers had a fix ready they just needed more time to do it other things like that it's ooh, my goodness is this just the well, and to play a little devil's advocate, not to say that it was the right move, but you have to you have to tell people the context of what was going on. This was very shortly after the immense success and boom of Street Fighter 4, and then of course also Marvel versus Capcom 3 was doing its thing at the time. And then you have the Tekken fan base and the Street Fighter fan base, and what they expected was that both fan bases would automatically jump on this game. It was supposed to be a huge, huge deal, and and, and I mean it, it, it was there, uh, and and they stepped on themselves in a couple of ways and really it slowed it down. But the potential for this crossover, and and at this specific moment in the timeline, was massive. So they were going for it. So when you say I, they don't want to miss their deadlines, that's there's like a big reason why. Not to say it was the right thing. Hey, yeah, I will jump in on that. That's that's actually part of Matt Muscle's reporting, which I disagree with, um, because the game was predicted to have two million in sales, and I think that that Street Fighter Four's lifetime sales got up to about nine million, uh, and we already know Street Fighter Five is at four point five million. This game was overhyped in that regard in terms of like how the community was going to maybe receive it and then like what the business end of it was. Uh, I think that they were very hyped about what it might mean for our community uh, because, you know, merging Tekken and Street Fighter together, I get that. But uh, again, when the bean counters at Capcom looked at this, they called two million in sales. That like That's not insane that's like okay yeah that's reasonable and you have to remember this game sold 1.4 million copies in that initial sales window it's not like it massively missed it it just didn't do as well as they hoped it sucked like 
the suck was like a four out of ten, you know, kind of thing, or or something like that. It's just like, eh, well, not very. To me, yeah. though, there's there's evidence in what we see how they conducted themselves with all of these things. They they saw the potential, you know, as 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 mobile games and pay to win was a thing, and DLC was now a thing, and and it seemed like Capcom was putting a lot of eggs in this basket. They're like, we're so sure. Well, they we're sure enough that we are going to do this many new ventures. And, and do it in this style, and we think that it's going to work. So to me, that's sort of an evidence that they were pretty confident that this was going to go over well. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the parts of the video, too, is they, they just talk about spending all this money on licensing music and doing all these other kind of things that the, the budget got out of control on this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, that backs up your, your statement there in a way uh, of that they did not have a good luck on what they should be spending, what they should not be spending. And I mean, I remember some really hype music coming up with the trailers and all that kind of stuff. And speaking of trailers, they had a bunch of great 3D animated things that, uh, I mean, that game had an extensive amount of, of um, 3D graphics and other like CGI trailers and all that uh, to a ridiculous degree. I don't know if we've ever gotten that many uh, 3D animated things from Capcom before. Uh, but of course that didn't work out so well. And uh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned the music. Was this the was this the game that featured a song by Hollywood Undead? Yes, it was. Oh, shout outs to Charlie C. You know what he's doing uh, these days. <laughs> Playing in front of millions of fans. Hopefully he's staying doing, away man. from my girlfriend is all oh, I can say. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> That's getting some inside baseball stuff. But if you know uh, that band. Uh, if you, you know, know, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right. So anyway, so I've heard many behind the scenes stories from Capcom through the years. And I can't independently verify like what was said in this video was true. But I can say it's extremely very much in line with other things I've heard. Um, Capcom internally referred to this game as Street Fighter Cursed Tekken instead of Cross because (laughs) nothing went right with this game. Um, And I'll tell another story here I got from a high-ranking employee at Capcom whom I trust and and was verified by another former employee, their, their story, who I trust as well. So I... I think this is completely authentic, but uh, it's about an issue no one really cares about, though. That's the net code, you know, in, in these games, and particularly <laughs> in Street Fighter IV, uh, because even clear back a decade ago, this was important and people were talking about it. And a number of people at Capcom USA were hardcore championing GGPO for Street Fighter IV, and that got shut down pretty hard along the way. Technical issues were cited with implementing rollback code into Street Fighter IV, and Capcom Japan also said they knew a guy who could handle this stuff and that they were going to let him handle Street Fighter IV's code instead of using GGPO because, you know, they knew a guy who could do it. But, you know, why why use rollback code, something we know is like vastly superior to anything else? Let's just do good old delay-based you know, code because we, we have a guy, you know, kind of thing. So um, one of the reasons that we're cited for that was, was technical limitations. Uh, you know, it was, it's going to be very hard to get 3D models and rollback code and all this kind of other stuff working. That was like very much a concern from Capcom Japan. I'll just note that Street Fighter Cross Tekken, it didn't use GGPO, but it did use rollback code. And it was on the same platforms as Street Fighter 4. So I, I want to be very careful with this. And, and I'm not saying that rollback code is trivial. Far from it. But the technical reasons Capcom Japan had for not implementing it into Street Fighter 4 did not hold up. And this is kind of what I'm getting at here is that you can, when you're working, if you've ever, um, you know, seen how game developers and stuff work, there's a, you know, marketing has got to work with this and that and all this kind of stuff with the tech department and all this kind of stuff to make it go. Uh, You can sometimes get fed lines by different departments who don't want to do a project and they'll cite different things that aren't really legitimate to not have to do that work they don't want to do. 
mm. you know, and and I think that's what happened with Street Fighter Four. And, and again, the reason how come I bring up this case is like there's a history here of of Capcom USA and Capcom Japan going back and forth particularly with Capcom USA not being very well listened to, even though they've done a number of very good things and had a number of very good ideas through the year. Um, yeah, there's there's even more, but yeah. it's uh, <laughs> Now, uh, two things. One, really quickly, I, when Street Fighter V was still in development, they, Capcom had this uh, uh, press thing that I attended and I talked to some of the uh, the people that you know, some of the employees at that time, and uh, one of the employees who worked on Cross Tekken, and it came up, I don't remember how it came up, but I remember when it did, the life and it just just came out of this person's eyes, and they exhaled, and they're like, oh yeah, Cross Tekken. Uh, that was definitely a thing for Capcom. Um, thing number two, I think I just heard a doorbell, and I know you're expecting your fancy pants new VR headset. Do you need to go get that really quick? Yeah, I'll go double check here real quick and make sure. Okay. I'll be right back. Okay, I'm back. Cool. Was it the VR headset? No, it was not. Oh, I was so. hoping we'd get an audio unboxing. No, <laughs> audio unboxing would be uh, Guys, it looks really cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's Casey Tron reacting to Casey Tron. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me see. Where were we at? We were talking um, about uh, this taking the life out of the sales and the souls of Capcom employees. Oh, okay. yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, yeah. Did, you, did you have a, a more to it? Nope, that was it. I, I just remember that playing Fong, and they had these very delicious little bacon wrap sausages. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's, um, boy, there are some disgruntled Capcom USA employees, and I'm sure Capcom Japan employees as well. I just, I don't speak Japanese, so I'm not uh, as able to speak with them as often. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I got to be careful here about revealing some of my sources, but to give another example here of this, uh, of, of stuff that happens, uh, a huge reason why we got the input delay reductions in Street Fighter V is actually because of Capcom USA staff. Um, they did some extensive work to benefit the community. And I'm not saying Capcom Japan had no hand in this. Um, they had to, to code up you know, and fix and make sure everything got implemented properly. Uh, but I will say that Capcom USA does some really good work. And they also get a, a number of very good suggestions and ideas kind of shut down. Um, and there are numerous examples of this stuff happening through the years. Uh, I didn't know specifically about the, the Street Fighter Cross Tekken one that Matt McMuscles um, cited, but it matches up really closely with what I've heard. And if you hear enough of the same things, you know, through the years, uh, kind of repeatedly, like you, you get an idea of what's going on at a company. And there are a lot of layers you need to cut through to get stuff done at Capcom. It's not easy, and people aren't regularly listened to or their advice followed. Uh, there are a lot of problems there because um, Capcom is fairly hard-headed, uh, but that's also in line with the fighting game community. And if you don't believe me, just look at online tournaments. It's something we should have embraced a decade ago or even further back, but we never did it properly. So we're way behind where we should be compared to other esports games. Um, and I can put Capcom on blast for bad choices, but they mirror a number of things we say and do in the FGC too. You point the finger at Capcom and you have three fingers pointing back at yourself and each one's got a gem on it. And <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> did you write that in your notes? <laughs> I did write that. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, 
as many things as Capcom does wrong, which is plenty, they do a lot of things right too. You know, and it's why we we talk about their games so extensively. Uh, they do have some really super talented people behind there. Uh, we also want to shine the light on some of the garbage that happens there because it helps get it changed. That's um, what we're here. We're, we're the media. You know, we we're we're not beloved by anyone. You know, we we're there to do a fair and accurate job as best we can, uh, and we try to hold all the companies accountable. And say like, hey, this is what's right. This is what's wrong. Please fix the stuff that sucks. Um, but also try to be fair along the way and realize that like some some of our viewpoints and other things may not match up with reality. Um, and, and that's just kind of the story with with everything. So <laughs> you say we're the media and with the, you're right. You're totally right. And I 100 percent am on board with you on that. But you say that word and I just think of <laughs> fair and, and, and unbiased and such and I go oh that's not that's not what that word's come to mean to be in recent times but okay uh, yeah it, well, you know, and that's a it's a great thing it's like because some people out there think we'll do that um uh I've I've heard from numerous game developers actually they think we do a very fair and solid job and then I've heard from a bunch of other ones who think we do a terrible job at that uh and it's just it's funny it's very hard to satisfy everyone and uh and yeah yeah so uh well that was fun <laughs> speaking of satisfying yeah. everyone <laughs> what you got john i don't know whatever the next topic is whatever you have in line uh um, okay i mean you want to get into online tournaments I, yeah I let's get about risk oh well something. were you were yeah. you done with everything that you wanted to cover with cross tekken because oh, i think there's a lot God. more meat in that one uh, oh, man. if you want to I'm done with cross tech and I was All done right. with that thing eight years ago. Oh. So <laughs> who did you play? Uh, I played, Oh man, who did I play? I can't even remember now. Um, yeah, I can't even remember. I remember I avoided. I, did you play a Tekken character? Um, I played a, a street fighter and a Tekken character, I think. Oh. So, um, yeah, I played both. I 100% just tried to play street fighter four. I was, uh, uh, I played Ryu and Zangief because snake eyes was doing his thing with Zangief. So like, Oh, I can kind of see how that works there and, and, and such. And I can start to apply what I've seen with him in, I mean, wh- why not? Like, Hey, I can just like look over and cheat off of, off of <laughs> snake eyes of all people. Why not just take that route? And I think it was the, the first, uh, the first match I played was against Mike Watson and that was the team he played. And I was like, well, this guy probably knows broken characters right off the bat when he sees them so i'll just i'll just follow his lead he, he knows what's up so that was my team for about 20 minutes and then i also played once again at a, at a wednesday night fights a few months later when uh when um neo showed up one time and he needed a partner because we were playing all in teams and such which i i personally didn't like i think it was very hype to do it that way but i didn't want to rely on a partner because i'm the you know that that rogue guy that doesn't want to do all that kind of stuff but man cross tech and that that was an interesting time. There's a lot of crazy stuff, a lot of lessons learned, and maybe some not. But um, uh, it's 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 a it's an up and down kind of uh, kind of memory for me. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have fond memories of it, just mostly because of covering tournaments and watching match after match after match in in time. Go to timeouts. Oh my uh, gosh. It's and I mean, just why do you have a mechanic that you can't even? It, it, here I am. I like, yeah, too much, too much. I mean, there, they, they so. fixed that. They fixed it with. A, I think there was a 2012 update, or I don't remember what they exactly called it, but they fixed it to a, to an extent. But yeah, that was they just so it? painful. They and did not fix it. No, it was no. After the update, matches ended. <laughs> which is a funny thing to <laughs> sometimes they did and, and but i was actually thinking of pandora like you couldn't even use pandora properly which is pretty yeah. much a, oh jeez. Yeah, yeah so so you had to be content without with like basically forsaking some of the game's mechanics and that shouldn't be the story that you tell when you say oh come play this fighting game you only use about 80 percent of it or whatever it is uh but you know it's, it is what it is and people do appreciate 
what was good about it to an extent. But I, I seriously wonder this day if I have more PTSD for Street Fighter Cross Tekken than Capcom does. So <laughs> I don't know, man. Not, Those I are some no. pretty low spirits. Oh man, it, it's I, I do not like that game at all. Uh, it's I respect the footsies and other stuff in there. I really hated that game for just how crappy so many aspects were of it i know people love it and do whatever and stuff i just i hated that game uh after a little bit of time it was just ugh, just so much wrong so fair enough let's talk about a game that people don't hate yeah let's talk about risk let's oh do risk it. Okay. yeah let's do it okay so well where do i begin here um Okay, so in my the beginning of my fighting game career, I would I came to something of a rude awakening in that my personal approach and my proclivity is to play by feel, right? The the poetic side of things. You kind of feel the rhyme and you feel the rhythm and what works is what's good and and what doesn't work is what's bad, yada yada. And then of course, on the other side of that coin is the more scientific numbers-based approach where you analyze the frame data, the numbers and you play by probability and you use that now, this is something that everyone in the fighting game community and in, in a lot of different competitive gaming realms, as we'll, as we'll soon hear, uh, deals with. And, it, and it's something that they have to kind of um, uh, rectify both sides and, and balance both sides at any time. And I would argue that the, the best you is probably the you that balances both pretty equally. You're playing with... Uh, with the understanding of the numbers, but then you're also playing with the freedom to to kind of break those rules where it's necessary because you're analyzing a living, breathing, thoughtful human being on the other end of this, right? And so it's a very hard, I don't want to say line to walk across because that's <laughs> getting back into the previous subject, but it's something that's it's very difficult and it kind of is 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 a is a task that you have for your entire career you know you're never going to probably master that but it's always something that you can work on anyways i have been around the fgc i've been in various different communities i've i've traveled a bit i've you know consumed from the internet and seen people's reactions and thoughts and whatnot and one of the things that i have seen emerge is uh is this tendency for people to make judgments against people that aren't doing enough on the side of science Right. Hmm. And and so it's like if people are flailing and they're just doing stuff, then they're not a very good player. And that's what and, and, and I don't fully disagree with that. But just as I was feeling kind of this sense of of guilt early on in my Street Fighter four play when I was, quote unquote, playing the wrong way. That has been something that I have been fighting for the last 10 years. And I still see other players like High like like Tokido or Daigo or whomever uh, do things that are quote unquote not the uh, probable proper thing to do in the moment, but they work, right? And, and we talked about Jobin a few weeks ago and how there's a little more to it than just it's a it's a random flail, right? Because because Gandhi and Gandhi sort of matches exist out there when someone that truly doesn't know what they're doing gets the job done. But it's so few and far between, and it's very much the exception to the rule. And you don't live by that, you know. You you say like it's, it happens sometimes, but it's not the rule. Okay, so anyways, balancing that that's something that I think everybody has to entertain and deal with in their careers. And I've been recently playing Risk online with a few friends. Very, very, very different game and experience than Street Fighter or fighting games. But 
it also has a unique approach to this specific poet versus scientist uh, way of, of doing things. And in a recent, <laughs> recent risk game with my friend Nick and my friend Joe, uh, I got to see this firsthand, and it actually helped me develop uh, along in my in my feelings and my understanding of this. And I thought, well, it would be probably pretty good to share with people because if I'm feeling this and I'm dealing with this, and I see it as often as I do, then it probably is the case for a lot of others out there as well. So, really quickly, uh, for those that don't understand Risk or, or know the game, uh, it's basically a world map, and you have everybody that's that's playing. It's usually four people. In this case, it was three. Uh, it's just numbers. You you have armies, you occupy each individual country, and it becomes a game of the, what you want to do is you want to occupy as much as possible, and so you eventually occupy the entire world, and then you win the game. So it really comes down to numbers much more than fighting games do. Because one, it's not real time like fighting games are. It's very thoughtful. You have a, you have plenty of time to sit and observe and think and then make your decision. So there's less, there's not none, but there's less flailing and craziness in, in that realm, right? And because it works this way, certain rules, quote unquote rules, can emerge that tend to be the right way of playing. For instance, if you are at a place where you think maybe it's time to completely eliminate another uh, player from the board, you have you can you have a big enough army where you can take out all the rest of their armies. Should you do it? Well, the rule is if you have more more armies, a bigger number than all of the other players in the game combined, then you should do it. But if you don't, then don't do it because you'll spread yourself too thin and you'll leave yourself exposed for as soon as you kill this one player, everyone else is just going to come in and destroy you because you're too weak. Okay, so it's like a balance like that that you constantly have to um, uh, maintain. And so Nick and I have not played a ton of Risk. Joe's played more than us and he's got a knack for this kind of a thing. So Joe immediately emerges as the guy to beat. And he's won the first couple of games that we've played. So he's kind of got a target on his back, which is relevant for later in the story. <laughs> um, so the situation arises wherein uh, Nick and Joe are having a little bit of a fight down in uh, the southeastern part of the world. And I'm kind of chilling up in the, the northwest in North America. And there's a situation where Nick now occupies all of Asia. And if you occupy all of a continent, especially Asia, which is the biggest one in, 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 in the way risk is um, divvied up, you get a whole bunch of bonus armies and you get exponentially more powerful the longer people don't stop that from happening. I have the opportunity to stop Nick from having all of Asia and Nick is fighting with Joe and the correct answer for my turn is to take at least one Asian territory away from Nick so that he doesn't get a big bonus and become too much of a problem for both Joe and I to ever deal with. That's the right answer. Joe says out loud to me and you know to the group, you have to do something about this on this turn or it could turn very badly for us. That's correct. But but I also know who I'm dealing with. And I know that if I take just one of Nick's Asian territories, he is more than likely going to move his troops away from Joe and start attacking me, even though that's not the right call, that's what he's gonna do. And it's gonna be ultimately less beneficial to me. So I let it go and I don't stop Nick and I let him continue to attack Joe. And this is infuriating for Joe. <laughs> for anyone that's ever been woke up DP'd 
at a time where you quote unquote shouldn't have been woke up DP'd, that's bad. We've all felt that. Oh, we've felt it for sure. But in risk or in a game like this, imagine someone wake up DPing, but it doesn't benefit them and it clearly doesn't benefit you. It benefits somebody else entirely. So they're not even gaining from it. They're basically pulling you into their grave with them for no damn good reason. And holy sh is that infuriating. I'm basically looking at that like you're playing a Kim player and he wake up DPs so that the next Kim player you play benefits from it. Not yes. you or him, but yeah, just <laughs> bonkers. That, and I could totally see a Kim player doing that. that that's what Kim players do, but yes. <laughs> so, yes. So Joe, I've, I've, he's pretty even keel. He gets livid. And for the rest of the game, after this one move, it's all just about how we're teaming up on him and being stupid and playing wrong. And I could... Uh, for as many times as I've heard people go off on each other in the fighting game community for playing stupidly, Joe did all of that all in like the next 15 minutes of, of play, right? <laughs> uh, and Nick and I are just laughing and having a having a gay old time, right? And, uh, and and sure enough, Joe ends up losing because of it, and and he's so mad. And 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 again, he's not the type to really get that mad. And and he's coming from a place that I've seen many times before and as I sit and think of it that him being angry and yelling and, and swearing and stuff uh, it never got too bad by the way but it was certainly a it was it was a moment that feeling of guilt for quote-unquote playing the wrong way started creeping up just like it did and just like it, it does on occasion when I see myself playing fighting games in the uh, in the wrong way but then as I think about it more, I and, and we were actively talking about it, I go, yes, Joe, you're not wrong. And I knew you weren't wrong in the moment that I made that decision, but you have to be able to read the room and the players that you're playing with. And I can make a very strong argument that I still hold by right now that it was the better move for me to do it this way. And that was actually the right choice. And there, there's a certain... Um, uh, it, it's empowering to know that that can be the right choice. And for, uh, I don't think anyone's flat out said, you have to play more scientifically or you're playing wrong. But there's certainly a feeling or, or an inclination toward that, that I think we err on that side of things. And you cannot throw out the numbers. The second you do that, you're, you're screwed. You have to play with both. But I think we have an inclination to go too far in that direction when deeming someone a strong player or not. And uh, I've, I've had to rethink that many times. And this has been, like I said, a little bit empowering to, to allow myself to say, as long as you are doing something with intent and you've thought about it, if you can give a reason why you did that DP, then it's okay. You know, and it might not work out. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work for you. But it's not as simple as there's a right and wrong thing to do. And again, I, don't, I haven't heard people say that directly, but that seems to be a, a sentiment that often emerges. And I want to sort of move away from it because I think we're a little too far on that side of the, uh, of the spectrum, so to speak. Yeah. So that was something that I, I kind of learned from playing in Risk. And it was, a like I say, a completely different game. But I see this similarity and it helped me in my understanding and my confidence to do what I feel is right, given that I have intent um, when I play fighting games. Yeah. Uh, there's training that we do here on the Event Hub team with all the staff members. 
and I say, look, I know you want to write this piece or do this, uh, but I always say to people, know the rules so you can break them. Mm -hmm. And that's really what it comes down to. And as long as you know the rules and you know why we do things a certain way, then I I get comfortable with people breaking them because I understand there's intent there. There is a reason how come they want to break the rules and do it in a different way. Uh, And that kind of comes with time. Um, And we're not talking about beginner players in Street Fighter V or whatever game. We're talking about advanced players who do some unorthodox things, uh, but that work out well in their favor. And and just history uh, shines on those people because they know how to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. And you might get so far by thinking inside the box and playing in the exact same way, but you end up hitting these hard limits that are very difficult for you to get past because you're not able to, to outthink in ways that your opponent is. And it just, it really holds you back after a certain point. Absolutely. What kind of player are you? Do you tend to be more of a scientist or a poet? Both. Well, sure, but like, do you have a proclivity from one to the other? I, I've actually, uh, I've, I'm probably more of a scientist because of my, um, um, I rely very heavily on on data, but I'm also extremely cognizant of of um, being okay with push, pushing buttons when I'm negative, you know, and stuff like you, you've just you you've got to use that as a guide kind of thing. So um, my basis is in science. And then like, I try very hard to make sure I keep the, the poetic side in place too. Makes sense. That's, that's good. And that's kind of what we have to, to sort of get at. I have a strong proclivity to just play by the feeling and, and I, and it gets me reasonably far. I think my instincts when I play are pretty damn good, but adding the, the, uh, the numbers aspect to it only augments it. And, and at first it's kind of a hindrance because you're sort of feeling like I have to think about it at first and this is this kind of thing that you have to hammer in your mind so much so that you can do it on the fly in the middle of a, of a frame trap or whatever you know make those decisions one way or another but yeah it's, it's it's that it's that balance that I think we're all constantly trying to find the right spot in and I just want to make sure that the overall goal that the FGC tends to encourage people toward is in the right spot and not too far off onto the sciencey side of things yeah it's um you you saw people through the years to give a another example here just saying if you played on a pad you were a scrub you know and yeah. you could not you could not compete on a pad you had to move to a joystick at some point uh, and that's just complete and total bull crap and it's proven to be bull crap and there's some really kind of hard-headed people in the FGC as we just spoke about and they give you some bad advice sometimes you got to be very careful what people you let you know um, into your head you know kind of thing and, and make mm. sure they have your best interest not their best interest because it sounds like your friend Joe had his best interest at heart when he was playing risk he was very like yeah much. you should yeah you should do this so I win or I've got a shot at winning and the fact you're not doing this is upsetting me kind of thing uh, that's kind of where you run into a lot of trouble is if your friends want to see you succeed even if it's at their expense then you've got legit people you got legit people looking out for you who want to see you. it's like hey because they know ultimately if you beat me and i beat you and we go back and forth we're both going to get a lot better but if one side is always dominating the other you're not getting better you've got one person who's got a, a severe advantage over the other person and they're not able to overcome it that's just that's not benefiting anyone Right. And and to be clear, that's exactly how Joe should have played that because he wants to win the game of risk that he's playing right, right now. So <laughs> nothing against his character or anything like that. Yeah, I love that the salt is definitely not exclusive to, to fighting games. People think like, you know, oh, fighting games, ultimate salt generators. I'm like plenty of other games, man. When you get people that hardcore about this stuff, oof, you, you Dude, feel it. Yeah. Not only have I felt it firsthand as I've begun to understand the quote unquote rules of risk and what's good and not good to do, because it's so frustrating because they're not only hanging themselves, they're hanging you potentially as well. Although 
someone could do it in a such a way where it only benefits you as well because they're they're messing with somebody else sure but as I go through it, risk for for as much as we say this in the fighting game community, and as much as this becomes a thing where you're like, oh, you're playing the wrong way and, and such, it's so much more pronounced in risk because, like I was saying, it's it's the the numbers are more obvious. And, and like when I look up tutorials, there's a there's a risk um, YouTube channel where this guy kind of shows you how he how he plays and the strategies that he comes up with and examples that comes up even in his tutorials all the time. Like, what is this player doing? He's so stupid. Here's why it's wrong. Yada yada yada. It's much more obvious in risk and and much more infuriating if you can believe it. <laughs> well, let's get into something that's definitely not controversial and causing any problems whatsoever, and that's online latency during the Capcom Pro Tour. Uh, and I actually want to say that this is a good thing because we can see where the problems are at so we can start documenting them. And we need to know the realities of what's going wrong so they can be fixed. And it's something that I've actually assigned to both Steven and John because I hate them. I've told them that they need to go on and play each other in Street Fighter V because they both have connection issues. And I think that they can do a great job in documenting consistent problems in Street Fighter V's code and for other games for that matter as well. And, and the whole thing about this is that the more eyes on this stuff, the more brains we have looking at these problems, the more solutions we'll find. We're, we always ask the developers why they let stuff like Third Strike Chun-Li or Vanilla Sagat in Street Fighter 4 slip through the cracks. Like, ah, how did you guys not see that? Well, oftentimes this stuff becomes much more apparent when you have millions of people testing these games, as opposed to the much smaller development team at the, you know, the video game companies. It, it, it's just a night and day difference when you have so many people testing this stuff. Sure. Um, so veter veteran video game you know, developers, they actually do a very good job, but they're not going to be able to catch everything. This is where the community documenting things and showing where consistent problems exist can make the experience better for everyone. So I saw some people complaining about, like, uh, um, on a different note here a little bit, uh, about a lack of notable players with the CPT Online Europe outside of, like, Angry Bird, Big Bird, and Phenom. Um, but if you looked a little closer, you'd actually realize that a number of players who made the top 32 were actually training partners for those pros. I thought that was cool. I was like, because Punk said in an interview, the online scene has a lot of talent that doesn't always get showcased. It's where he came from. It's where IDOM came from. It's hard to find... Uh, more talented and skilled players than, than than item and punk right now. And both guys are saying, hey, look online. There's some really good stuff to be found there. Um, and, and I mean, it, it's you you see so many different players, characters, styles. Just don't instantly dismiss those players like Dessert Sun. Uh, one, I have a tough time with his name there, but it's there at GTR, White Ash X. These were all people that got in the top 32 of the CPT online. Just because you've never heard of them, these guys are actually training partners for a lot of the best pros out there. And, and it's not like these are, they're, they're no names that we don't know of, but it doesn't mean they aren't skilled and very good. So it's it's something to kind of like go, hey, take a couple steps back, realize there's some really good talent out there. Punk sees it, IDOM sees it, a bunch of other great players see it. Like it, there's a reason how come these pro players are so darn good. It's because they have really good training partners to work with. You know, the, with the online tournaments happening this weekend, now I'll, I'll even start with the uh, the counter example here and go over to the Smash Realm and, and highlight MK Leo, who it was news if he got second place because he was so consistently winning um, in offline tournaments. And then, of course, he, he participates in one and, and gets like something like top 16 or top 32 barely. And, and that was, you know, a single example of a, of a very strong player not performing as well online as they do offline. But this weekend, we look at the results and they're fairly undeniable. It's like, yes, of course it was online, but 
who won, you know, mm-hmm. and who got who got the top placing in uh, in not only the Capcom Pro Tour but then also in the uh, the Blink All Stars tournament. Yeah, it's like, go ahead. Oh, Phenom Punk Idom. They all won the major tournaments online so far. Yeah, and then in, in second and third place in the uh, CPT online, who who was there? Angry Bird and Big Bird. Uh, Big Big Bird got second. Your favorites to win it, right? And not not just yours, yep. like the favorites yep. to win it. So that's something that uh, you know you guys have heard my my kind of hesitation uh, to accept online, and and there's still obvious issues with it. But I have to entertain that. I have to say, well, the people that we the favorites still emerged on top at least in these <laughs> handful of instances. So there's something to be said there as far as who, you know, will the stronger player win? And maybe the, you could argue that the path that that happens on, there's some lag in it and, and whatnot. But if the outcome's the same, that's something. Yep. And they're doing it with characters like Karen and Poison, who are known to be some of the more technical characters in the game. And so I ask again, like, where are, are people's legitimate problems with online? And again, I, I, we know a lot of them, but like overall, how are we still saying this is not valid and legit in some instances? And we're going to talk about actually where it's not legit. Uh, and to get into that here, um, we're going we're gonna to discuss Asun versus Angry Bird. And it looked like some of the worst and most unplayable, unplayable latency I've seen in an online tournament ever. It looked freaking terrible. The distance that was allowed in this tournament for the players to be a part of it was flat out stupid. It was close to, to give people an idea, close to twice the distance from LA to New York for the grand finals. That is completely <laughs> unacceptable. Whoever was behind this uh, and, and saw, oh yeah, we're gonna go ahead and allow this distance to happen needs to really be checked on that and say, hey, you made a very, very bad choice here. And this needs to get fixed in the future. We can't allow that amount of distance to happen. I won't even play from freaking coast to coast in the US. This was almost double that distance. How do you let that go through? Like, Counterpoint, I think ahead. it's 100% okay and encouraged as long as they play the the Benny Hill theme <laughs> while those matches are going on. Then it's fine because yeah. then that's that's esports entertainment for you right there. Yeah, I, I can't I can't deny that that would be great. So, um, but yeah, it, so top three were who we expected to be, but there are issues here, and, and I think there are issues that again, this is the stuff that we need to run across so that we can get it fixed. But uh, moving on, I had an idea to help with problem connections in tournament. Instead of connections having to be monitored and tested by TOs by some obscure means, usually outside a game. I think some tools should be baked into these games that actively monitor someone's connection and reports that info publicly are like in a special spot that TOs or other people can look at to see if someone is consistently having trouble, like just having normal performance and whatnot. It gives people an idea if they're playing on Wi-Fi or if their connection is, you know, like they pay $2 a month for it or something like that. It would be a neutral spot that people could look at and see that, oh man, Jim's connection is terrible. Like, I just never want to play this guy again. Um, Jim. Yeah, freaking Jim. I hate that guy. But anyway, you can't solve all problems with this, but you could help isolate some of the worst defenders by baking in a few tools into these games. It will help make online tournaments more legit. It will make the TO's experience a little bit more easy to manage. Um, it's not about fixing 
everything. It's just about separating like a few of the, the really obvious sore thumbs from the field and be like, hey, let's just deal with this or give people tools to deal with it. And those things just don't exist right online right now. Like how is a TO supposed to realistically say that Jim's connection is terrible, but we can see that, you know, Fred's connection is perfect, right? Like it, it's it's really hard to say, but if you, you have some of this stuff in game, it really does change stuff and you can get an idea uh, if, if someone's kind of a bad actor or not. Mm-hmm. That's right in there with that conversation about having Wi-Fi indicators and, and things along those lines. And I, 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 I've been in the fighting game community and, and to this degree for about a decade now, and I should be jaded and tainted and, and expecting nothing good <laughs> to happen. Uh, but I will say that I do feel like we are at a place where this issue has been highlighted to the extent and that this doesn't mean stop talking about it, but this issue has been highlighted to the extent that it has become, I would hope, that it's a, a non-negotiable for developers to attend to this. And the evidence of that is, to, you know, we see Capcom doing multiple uh, patches to address online play with the netcode and the matchmaking for Street Fighter V in the, uh, in the early part of this year, within a, like a month or two of each other. And we see Guilty Gear Strive hear the feedback that like, uh, you better not be doing a delay-based netcode. And they go, okay, we'll change it. You know, so we are seeing that the developers sort of catch up and we're at a place right now where you know the next chapter of gaming, uh, fighting gaming is, is in the works, it's in development. And I think that it, we're, we're far enough along in this conversation about the, the, the demand for online play to be updated in the fighting game community where it is reaching developer ears. Let's make it as efficient and good as possible, as fast as possible by continuing to talk about it, bringing up being specific about the things that we want to see change. I actually wrote an article uh, yesterday about this. You know, it, it's one thing to say we want better net code, blah, 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 more net code. It's like, that, okay, good. We, we understand that's the issue. But the more we can say, I want to have a Wi Fi indicator, I don't want to, you know, some of the things that Steven and I are, are investigating, trying to see where. Um, if, if we can hammer down any places where it's obviously going to be laggy because of certain decisions, you know, people talk often about Nikali's hair when Bison activates V-Trigger 1, things like that. Like how to avoid those kind of situations based on, you know, whatever your, whatever your processing power, your, your, your net code can handle, right? Uh, but being specific and saying, do this, do this, do this. And it's like people will say, it's not our job. It's like, well, no, it's not. But you know what? We want the same thing that the developers want. We want a game that we enjoy playing. And so the best way you're going to get that is to be specific, precise, vocal, and respectful so that your voice gets through in a way that you know people aren't going to just shut down to. Mm-hmm. And I will say that there's a learning curve here, even for just playing online. That uh, might sound shocking, but with some of the, the online tournaments, the, the battle lounges, they were not set to be first to three initially. Are you know like and so what's happening is the players are going back to the lobby each and every single like between every match, and matches are taking a long time to get through. Some of the initial ones, it's about midday through the first day, and all of a sudden they realize that stuff clicks and matches are actually coming at a, a very good pace at that point in time. Hmm. And I bring that up because there's a general lack of knowledge and experience. It's not just the tos; it's sometimes the players. So like. 
well, how do I do a battle lounge that like just runs smoothly and all that kind of stuff? They're hopping out of the battle lounge. They're they're doing different things. It's like, don't do that. Just re-up. You're, you're good. This will go smooth and whatnot. And so there's a learning curve here. It's not just on the developers. There's a good bit we can do in the community to just kind of educate people. It's uh, it's like the you know the five minute button checks we used to see in Street Fighter Five or Four, I should yes. say. It's like no, you're not going to check your buttons for for that long. You're going to just go in there and do it one time and you're done. That's it. You don't get to do it five times. There's a limit on this. And we figured, you know, a number of things out with offline tournaments to speed them up. And we need to do the same thing with online tournaments. And these are pro players and pro TOs that are stumbling over this stuff because we haven't done it before properly. It mm. takes time. So, and it, but again, we get there. It's it's really not that bad. It's it's a learning curve, but it's like, oh yeah, this is like again, you can you can get over it, right? So, uh, one more quick dig at Cross Tekken because why not? Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the gems uh, you actually would have to go and pick your gems, and that would end up being another step in the get ready process. So, not only is it something like pick your V trigger and pick your groove or whatever, but go through and pick the specific gems that you want to attach to your characters. And that was, and there was what, like the game launched with like 50 gems and then you could also have other ones. Uh, I mean, before this was taken out of the tournament scene, that was another step in the process to slow things down on a game that already went to timeout more often than not. Oh, what a situation. Uh, but yes, the, the, the movement toward ironing this out, refining it is, is a process that happens from both ends. I mean, it can just happen from one, but you know what? It's going to be way more efficient if, if we talk about it and we do our side of the work to make it more rapid. Yep. There it is. All right, y'all. That's going to wrap us up for this week of the Event Hubs podcast. Once again, thank you so much for listening. See you guys.